Today is the 7th of February 2017 and uh, for this first Taisho outside of Sashin at least for the year I thought I would um, give a bit of get a bit of a report on uh, a three-month retreat I did last year but as I sat down to to prepare it I realized um, it was quite a quite a task to try and do that um, so much happens that it's probably going to be several talks which I'll, uh, on which I'll draw material from, from the retreat I did. Those of you who've been to Sesheng will know that even seven days is hard to sum up because one goes through so much. But instead of trying to sum anything up, what I thought I'd do in this talk is, is and subsequent talks is explore some of the themes that um, came up for me in my sitting and also in the reading I was doing and listening to talks, um, podcasts, and uh, so you try and um, draw some of the more stuff out because I feel like it's going to take me quite some time to, to process everything that, that um, happened um, during the retreat. Um, some people may ask why, why do a three-month retreat? And if I was to put it into one word, I would say dukkha. That um, I was I was aware of um, painful habit patterns operating. Um, you can you can see into non-duality and have glimpses of this truth, but it's a process. Training training and practice are a process, and it. Um, it goes on and on, and uh, doing a three-month retreat was a chance to go back to basics. Um, I was mainly doing breath practice and to work on these habit patterns. And, and of course, um, we may have a fantasy that we'll um, get beyond these these patterns, and and it's a realistic one in the long term. But often, what going into retreat does is it brings these things to the fore and to the foreground where we can we can work with them. And um, one of the ones that has been a, a difficult one for me, and it I, goes back as far as I can remember, is uh, anxiety. And um, it's something I can remember even when I was a very, very small child, and probably everybody in this room can, because it's the taste of samsara, as one teacher put it. Um, Anxiety comes out of this basic, fundamental um, misunderstanding we have about reality in that we think that we're separate. And of course, a separate being is, is a vulnerable being. And so it's this really fundamental um, thing. Uh, in sh I've done many shortest retreats. I've never done a three-month solar retreat before. And then often at the end of short ones, a week or 10 days or even two or three weeks, one thinks, if only I had had longer. <laughs> and that seems to be something that even happens with the longer ones. And um, I think here of, of uh, endless desires. <laughs> um, we, always, we always want more. Um, but three months is a good amount of time, and it's really um, this time to settle the mind 
and to, to go into deeper states of absorption. And these, these states of absorption, you really do need seclusion um, to go beyond a certain point. And, and so I got, that, I got a one month where I was totally isolated. Some of you may have heard me describe this, but for those of you who may not have, have heard, what I did was first I did two months at home living um, in our sleep out, but still having a little bit of contact with, with Richard, cooking meals, going for walks, doing samo, lots of um, work around the place. And um, although mostly I was in silence, I would talk a little bit with him when we took, went for walks, and I was dealing with a few bits and pieces from the centre at the same time. But then for the final month, um, I went out to uh, Sudarshana Loka, which is a, a property outside of Thames, very mountainous, steep, bush-clad, uh, beautiful place, um, where I was, was uh, completely um, on my own for the whole month um, and was able to really increase how much sitting I was doing from around eight or nine hours up to, to 11 or 12, plus taking daily walks in, in the bush and, and doing a little bit of dharma study as well. Um, I was very aware of people in the Sangha filling in for me um, and I wanted to use the, the time I had as well as I could. Um, but when I, also when I emerged, this is sort of a, a side point, but when I emerged it was clear that the Sangha had been fine for those three months and had um, um, continued to, to practice well and um, it was a, a good thing to see that um, I'm not indispensable and it's important that Everyone understands that, but, but could, could, I could die <laughs> any moment, get sick, and um, it's not healthy for a sangha to be um, too dependent on the teacher. So I was saying I wanted to use the time as well as I could. And time was an interesting phenomenon in, in, a, in a longer retreat. I can catch myself quite often in my daily life thinking I don't have enough time and feeling overcommitted, like I can't fit everything in that I've um, undertaken to do and um, wishing I had more time. And then suddenly in retreat, I had all the time in the world and it was terrifying to suddenly have days stretching out in front of me um, that I didn't know how things were going to unfold. And, uh, and the feeling of, of how could I possibly do three months of solitude. Um, the, the three months, was, especially at the beginning, was, seemed to be stretching out interminably um, in front of me. Impossible. How could, I, how could I do this? And it's really interesting, it's a really interesting lesson to see how much um, time is really our thoughts. And we can think, oh, something's long, or we can think it's short. And um, it's so, at least for that moment that we're thinking it anyway. 
In fact, uh, looking back over the journal I kept while I was doing the retreat, um, I, I repeatedly um, uh, note how quickly time is passing. And actually when you, when you get into something, you get engaged in something, then time does pass quickly. Um, I was saying before that that um, I had this um, wish to go 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 deeper with the practice and and get into the um, um, more absorbed, which is hard to do in 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 a daily practice of just a few hours a day or less, and um, of course we, we don't do these things without having um, aspirations, but even, even ultimately even such aspirations have to be let go of. Um, at um, fairly early in the retreat um, I had a dream which reminded me of this. In the dream I, I had um, booked to go on a cruise with some people from the, the, the Rochester Zen Centre and the, the people who were able to go on this cruise was going to be announced at a, at a special function, a kind of gala event and um, when the announcement was made it turned out that I wasn't on the list and neither were the, neither were the other people from, from the Zen Centre that I was going to go on this cruise with and in the dream I was very, very disappointed and, and um, using, using the James Hillman method of, of dream interpretation, which is to see everything in the dream as happening simultaneously, um, you could say the dream is saying, when there's excitement about cruising, then there is disappointment. <laughs> and, and, you know, we all we have these, these fantasies about cruising, you know, about getting to a really quiet, um, peaceful place. And um, that's all right. It's just that if we attach too strongly to it, then we're, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. One teacher talks about how we have the motivations we express about why we're doing something. And then often there's a secret motivation in there too, a desire for ease or um, to not have to deal with our uncomfortable emotions or... Um, to not have to, to deal with difficult relationships, these sorts of things can often be there too. Um, but the beauty of it is that if we're, if we're paying attention, being honest, we get to, um, to acknowledge these more secret, these, these um, covert uh, aspirations as well as our more noble ones. Um, The three months got off to a, um, a difficult start. Um, I had a couple of days um, sort of getting things ready and then the, the night I started, the actual sort of formal part of, of the retreat, um, I came down with a, a burning sore throat that was swallowing, was really painful, developed into a cold and a throat, th throat infection. 
And then um, I woke up in the middle of the night on a few days in, coughing and coughed for hours and ended up having to go to the local emergency clinic to get um, treated um, because it felt very much like I was going in the direction of pneumonia, which I've had um, a few times before. Um, so I ended up going on antibiotics, which um, was a long course of strong antibiotics, and that messed up my bowels. <laughs> and so even when I got better from my cold and the cough and everything, um, I was suffering the ill effects of the antibiotics and really um, had, it's taken a long time to get better and it's just getting better now. So um, some, some difficult sort of physical things to deal with at the start. Um, another thing that, that um, came right at the beginning, around the time I got sick, was, was another dream about a long journey through a forest. Um, and at the end of the journey, I, in the dream, I met an old Chinese woman in a clearing. And um, she challenged me and, and asked me, could I show her my lineage? And I immediately say, Ninji, which is the Chinese um, form of Rinzai, um, Master Rinzai, who, of course, who is the ancestor of the Rinzai school of, of Zen, of which we are not officially a part, but in our tradition we have aspects of Rin, the Rinzai tradition and the Soto tradition. And I was interested in this dream, which seemed to be both about the beginning of the, of the retreat and the end, the journey through the forest, and then meeting this old, old Chinese woman in the clearing at the end of the journey, um, that I should mention Rinzai, because I don't feel I have a particular um, affinity with this, this the, the Rinzai school so much. Um, probably say I more tend towards, towards the Soto school. Um, but I do associate Rinzai, Linji, with another retreat I did many, many, many years ago. Um, one of the first um, ones I ever did of solo retreats. And um, I was listening every day, I was doing more or less the Sashin um, schedule in, a, in a, a place called the Abbey of the Genesee. And right about this time of year actually, so it was the dead of, dead of winter, very cold, and this Abbey was a Trappist monastery which rented out houses to retreatants and most of the retreatants were Catholic and would go and take part in the daily offices at the monastery. But I just used the house and did lots of walking in the, in the extremely cold countryside and, and um, sitting and listening to t recorded talks. And one of the, the talks were Taisho's from a Sashin that, that my teacher Roshi Kat Goldhead had given. And at one point he quoted Master Linji's words um, famous words that he, among many things that are well known that he said, and this is something he repeated over and over again to his his um, congregation. 
What is it that ails you? Lack of faith in yourself is what ails you. And in this, and in this retreat, these words really um, came home to me. And they, they made a big impression and um, helped me to make a shift um, for myself from, yes, having kind of an abstract faith in the Dharma, but at the same time, a lot of self-doubt and not so much faith in my own potential to awaken. So it was a turning point in where, where I realized if I had faith in the Buddha Dharma, then that needed to translate into my having faith in my own Buddha nature, ability to wake up. And um, so this dream right now in, in, in my recent retreat seemed to be pointing to, um, again, needing to look at faith in myself. Uh, and this is, this is how our practice often is um, and, our, and our journey through life is that we often seem to come up against the same things um, more than once in a kind of, um, we come around to it again in a spiral, it might be on a deeper level, it might be regarding a different aspect of our lives, but we come back to the same issues. Um, and we'll, kind of, there'll be patterns that, that recur. Um, poet Yeats um, talked about gyres, um, this, this sense of our turning and returning. So one of the things I did, having, having had this dream, was to go back to, and to look at Master Rinzai and his teaching. And um, what struck me was how much there was in his teaching about having faith in oneself. And so I'd like to just read some passages from, from his teaching and, and, and comment a little bit about um, on them. And so the main theme really of this, this talk um, is love and faith. And um, hopefully it will become clearer as we proceed where the love part fits in with the faith. Um, but when I started the retreat, one of the things I decided I would do would be um, loving-kindness practice. And um, so I want to talk in this, this week and, and probably in two weeks' time um, some more about how love and faith relate to each other and how they fit into our Zen practice where love is is um, hardly mentioned. We'll come back to that um, in a little bit. So just picking some, some pieces out here um, from his teaching. And these I'm reading from um, the Zen teachings of Master Linji, translated by Burton Watson. 
by Master, Master Linji. When students today fail to make progress, where's the fault? The fault lies in the fact that they don't have faith in themselves. If you don't have faith in yourself, then you'll be forever in a hurry trying to keep up with everything around you. You'll be twisted and turned by whatever environment you're in, and you can never move freely. But if you can just stop this mind that goes rushing around moment by moment, looking for something, then you'll be no different from the Buddhas and patriarchs. Do you want to get to know the patriarchs and Buddhas? They are none other than you, the people standing in front of me listening to this lecture on the Dharma. In, in Chinese, um, ancient China, the monks will be standing for the Dharma talk. Students don't have enough faith in themselves and so they rush around looking for something outside themselves. But even if they get something, all it will be is words and phrases, pretty appearances. They'll never get at the living thought of the patriarchs. We could, we could substitute here ancestors for this, this um, patriarchs. So, so, Master Linji is inviting his, his students to recognize that Buddhas and ancestors don't live anywhere else but right here. And that the, their, their living truth needs a living being in which to have life and those living beings are us. We have this picture up here above our door that we see as we leave the Zendo, the Buddha Shakyamuni and, and uh, various bodhisattvas, guardian deities and arhats and uh, in the Vajrayana tradition, um, the, they suggest a whole lot of different preliminary practices, and one of them is actually visualizing one's teachers and the Buddhas and ancestors before one sits, and actually sort of bringing them into the room, bringing, bringing them into our practice. And we really are um, supported by... Um, our forebears, we couldn't be doing what we're doing if it weren't for them, if they hadn't passed down this precious teaching from, from the, uh, all the way from the Buddha Shakyamuni through the uh, Mahakashapa and Ananda, down through Bodhidharma, all the way to, to us here. And so these, these beings are, are, are part and parcel of who we are. The Master instructed the group, saying, Followers of the way, the Dharma of the Buddhas calls for no special undertakings. Just act ordinary, without trying to do anything particular. 
move your bowels, piss, get dressed, eat your rice, and if you get tired, then lie down. Fools may laugh at me, but wise men will know what I mean. This is uh, another, it's another version of, of another phrase he said to say, say um, when hungry I eat, when tired I, I sleep. Fools may laugh at me, but the wise will understand. We think that we have to acquire something, something special. And so we, we run around in all directions looking for this special thing. But actually, it's right under our noses. This is actually what makes it hard. It's so, it, the truth, is so obvious, so apparent, that we miss it. If you want to be free to be born or die, to go or stay as one would put on or take off a garment, then you must understand right now that the person here listening to the Dharma has no form, no characteristics, no root, no beginning, no place he or she abides, yet she is vibrantly alive. All the 10,000 kinds of contrived happenings operate in a place that is in fact no place. Therefore. The more you search, the farther away you get. The harder you hunt, the wider astray you go. This is what I call the secret of the matter. So if we heard this other teaching of, of Master Lin Chi's about just being acting ordinary and thought that that just meant sort of some kind of just hedonism, just eating and drinking and lying around, we'd be quite mistaken. Because here he points to this other side of, of just being ordinary. That this being ordinary um, is not separate from this dharma of no form, no characteristics, no root. That this is what is common to all the activities we undertake, all our thoughts, all our emotions. Um, all of them are, are forms of emptiness and this emptiness is not something um, uh, negative but something vibrantly alive so we're, we're really We're called on to bring our sense of wonder to this, this mystery. The mystery that we're living and breathing in every moment. 
person here listening to the Dharma has no form, no characteristics, no root, no beginning, no place he or she abides. This word, so how could, could it inform everything? Whatever confronts you, don't let yourself be imposed on. If you entertain even a moment of doubt, the devil will enter your mind. Even a bodhisattva, when he starts doubting, is prey to the devil of birth and death. Learn to put a stop to thoughts and never look for something outside yourselves. When an object appears, shine your light on it. Just have faith in this thing that is operating in you right now. Outside of it, nothing else exists. When an object appears, shine your light on it. Just have faith in this thing that is operating in you right now. The two, two main practices I was, I was doing was breath, mostly breath. And really that is just shining the light on the breath, on your light on the breath. Just sitting there breathing. The beautiful thing about the breath is that it um, happens completely without our, our needing to control it. Of course we can. Um, manipulate the breath, but it happens while we're deep asleep, it happens when we're doing something very complicated, when we're talking, like I am right now, just takes care of itself. And the secret of, of breath, the breath really is to get out of the way and just be breathed. Master Rinzai mentions here, um, learn to put a stop to thoughts and never look for something outside yourself. It's with our thoughts that we set up inside and outside. And we put a stop to, to our thoughts but by no longer um, believing in them. Can't indirect, we can't directly stop our thoughts. If we try to, then we actually just give them energy and they proliferate. But we can learn to um, not, not fuel them with our attention and, and elaborations on them. If we can really learn to do this, not um, take thoughts to be something real, but just thoughts, which is what they are, then no thought um, can, can afflict us, really. 
if it can be seen for what it is, then it, it no longer is, is an affliction. But really to, to be able to do this is, is um, it's hard. One of the reasons why it's, it is so hard is because we, we, um, we have the strong habit of evaluating and labeling um, certain things as, as, um, as good or um, beneficial and other things as, as um, a negative. Master Rinzai says, there is only you followers of this way, this person in front of my eyes now listening to the Dharma, who enters fire without being burned, enters water without drowning, enters the three realms of hell as though strolling in a garden enters the realms of the hungry ghosts, the animals, but that undergoes no punishment. How can he do all this? Because he is not averse to anything. So much of our suffering, when I really went through this in the, in the retreat, is not so much about what arises in the mind, um, but our, our reactions to what arises. Uh, our um, aversions. He goes on to say, when you love sages and loathe common mortar, mortals, you're bobbing up and down in a sea of birth and death. Of course, we, we, um, we think how wonderful a sage is, a wise person, and then um, how, how um, afflicted um, an unenlightened person is. But as soon as we do, we do that, we're kind of dividing ourselves and we're, we're um, loving certain parts of our own, our own mind and loathing other parts. And of course this creates all kinds of problems. Just a couple more here. I tell you, there's no Buddha, no Dharma, no practice, no enlightenment. Yet you go off like this on side roads, trying to find something. Blind fools. Will you put another head on top of the one you have? What is it you lack? Followers of the way, you who are carrying out your activities before my eyes are no different from the Buddha and the patriarchs. But you don't believe that and go searching for something outside. Make no mistake, there's no Dharma outside and even what is on the inside can't be grasped. You get taken up with the words from my mouth, but it would be better if you stopped all that and did nothing. 
things already underway. Things are already underway. Don't go on with them. Things that are not yet underway, don't let them get underway. That's better for you than the ten years of, than ten years of traveling around on pilgrimages. Again and again in his teachings, he talks about doing nothing. We're so habituated to doing and doing and doing. Um, when you when you settle in in a longer retreat, one of the things you get to see is the. Um, layers of this doing, um, it's more and more subtle uh, layers of um, doing and often the, that doing is tied up with wanting and uh, with, with a, a kind of grasping at particular states. The way I see it, there's no call for anything special. Just act ordinary. Put on your clothes, eat your rice, pass the time doing nothing. You who come from here and there, you all have a mind to do something. You search for Buddha, search for the Dharma, search for emancipation, search for a way to get out of the threefold world. Idiots trying to get out of the threefold world. Where will you go? Buddha, ancestors, these are just laudatory words and phrases. Do you want to know what the threefold world is? It's nothing other than the mind ground that you who are now listening to the Dharma are standing on. And then he goes on, for those of you who don't know, to explain what these, these three worlds are. They're the worlds of desire, form and no form. When you have a moment of greed in your mind, that is the world of desire. When you have a moment of anger in your mind, that is the world of form. When you have a moment of ignorance in your mind, that is the world of formlessness. These are the pieces of furniture in your house. The threefold world does not announce, I am the threefold world. Rather, it's you, followers of the way, who do so. This person here in front of my eyes, who in marvelous fashion shines his torch on the 10,000 things and sizes up the world, it is he who assigns names to the threefold world. Uh, one of the, one of the um, uh, themes of some of the talks I was listening to from um, the Vajrayana teacher, Alan Wallace, was about um, Majamaka philosophy and it puts a great emphasis on how we create the world we experience through our designations, through the labels that we give to things. Create our sense of, of um, what kind of world we live in. And it seems very well, very real. We, we don't um, 
we aren't aware most of the time of the way in which we, we create what we experience. Um, there's a little, little scene that I would see when I was doing some study sitting in my, uh, in a chair um, at Sudarshana Loka looking out onto a deck and um, It, it was it was like a little illustration of of this um, the way in which we we create what we experience, um, and it had to do with this little bird. I um, think it was probably it had a it had a yellow head. It was about the size of a sparrow, and um, I think it was a goldfinch, and it would come each day and uh, peck on the, the ranch slider and um, you could see that it, its droppings and sort of a line along along the edge of the ranch slider so it was clearly a regular visitor to this to this spot and figured out that he could see this little bird could see his reflection in the glass and he was pecking at the glass and reacting to this this um, other male in his territory and I sort of was imagine, you know, probably goldfinches don't think the way we humans do, but you could sort of imagine him thinking, there's that aggressive bird again. Why won't he go away? And, and it really struck me that um, it was a kind of analogy for, for how we, we create um, Ideas and about and problems out of our afflictions. We see something in us that we don't like. We sort of turn it into a thing. We reify it and feel aversion. And then, of course, when we look for these things, we see them. They're there. And and they um, we keep encountering them. And we then we wonder why they won't go away. But in fact, it's our aversion to them that, that fixes them in, in space and time and um, makes them into something that can appear quite intractable. Something we have to fight. Last quote from Master Linji. Fellow believers, you lug your arms bag in the sack of shit that is your body and you rush off on side roads looking for Buddhas, looking for the Dharma. Right now, all this dashing and searching you're doing, do you know what it is that you're looking for? It is vibrantly alive, yet has no root or stem. You can't gather it up. You can't scatter it to the winds. The more you search for it, the farther away it gets. But don't search for it, and it's right before your eyes. It's miraculous sound always in your ears. But if you don't have faith, you'll spend your hundred years in wasted labor.
sometimes when I heard this, this stuff when I was first started practicing, um, I, would, I would think it's all very well to say have faith, but what if I don't feel it? What if I don't feel this faith? My teacher, Roshi Colvig, used to, used to say faith comes from experience. And that for us all to be here in this room um, means that we have faith, that we've had experiences in the past that have, have given us this faith. Um, and you could, could say that just if you want to increase your faith, then all we really have to do is just pay really close attention to what is going on. Um, and in time, faith will develop if we persist. In other traditions, um, it's also encouraged that we seek out inspiration, that we look, we look for what, what encourages us, what, what, that it could be experiences we've had, or it could be stories of others' experiences, and especially to to seek out inspiring people, masters, um, enlightened ones. Um, one of the other um, texts that I was um, reading during the retreat was, was another Vajrayana one called White Sail, um, Crossing the Ocean of Mind to the Serene continent of the triple gems. This is something that somebody gave me. <coughs> and I forget the name of the, um, the teacher. Finley Norbu, I think. Finley Norbu, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But I was, um, I was struck by something that he, he was saying and talking about faith. And he said, the intention to have faith creates faith. A clear intention is extremely important in Dharma because it focuses energy and divines our aim so that we can attain it. Without intention, energy is wasted, diffused, lost, preventing any accomplishment. If we have the strong intention to practice in order to reach enlightenment, we can dedicate all of our activity towards this intention. So we're, we're, the paradox is we're called on to to really do nothing, and at the same time have an intention to awaken. This is the, the paradox of practice. And um, realizing that if we, if we um, intend to have faith, that we will, we will go in that direction. What we really, what we really believe in, becomes our reality. That's the nature of the mind. The intention to have faith creates faith. Um, in this, in this um, text, um, Thinley Norbo explores the, the very close relationship that um, there is between love and faith, and um, that's what I'll look at in. Um, in more detail in the next Tate Show.
But right now our time is up, we'll stop and recite four vows.